A man walks into a bar. He sits on his favorite stool, looks at a photograph on the wall, and pulls a pistol from his coat. The photograph is by Richard Avedon, taken in 1963 at a convention of the Daughters of the American Revolution, the women who traced their ancestry to the Founding Fathers. Avedon lined up 11 women wearing gowns and gloves and sashes, and then took the picture when none of them were paying attention. So instead of looking powerful and imposing, they looked like old ladies playing dress-up. Avedon had shown the photo in 1970 at the Minneapolis Institute of Art when the museum gave him his first retrospective, when he was the most famous photographer in the world, famous for shooting the famous, like Marilyn Monroe and Audrey Hepburn and the Beatles and anyone else he could think of. When Avedon was in town for the show, he had come to the Black Forest Inn, a bar and restaurant just a few blocks from the museum, many times, apparently. And before he left, he gave the owners the photograph and they hung it on the wall by the bar, where it's still hanging 16 years later, in February 1986, when Ellis Nelson lifts his gun and aims it at the photograph. This is The Object Podcast, produced by the Minneapolis Institute of Art. The Object is made possible by generous support from Ameriprise Financial a proud supporter of the Minneapolis Institute of Art and committed to the future of art and culture in the communities they serve. Ameriprise Financial, helping people feel confident about their financial future since 1894. Today, the story of an artist and a country at a crossroads, a story of ambition and acceptance, and how hard it is to see ourselves for who we really are. I'm Tim Gehring. I want to step out down the Champs-Élysées Do some window shopping in the Rue de la Pave That's for me Do you know this movie, Funny Face, 1957, starring Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn? It's great. Well, except for the plot and the characters and the casting. Fred Astaire is 34 years older than Audrey Hepburn, and she's supposed to fall in love with him, even though he's old and kind of an ass. When she runs off in Paris in the middle of the film... You're like, great, go. Find someone your own age with a beret and a goatee. Supposedly, it was Hepburn's idea to cast a stare. I mean, who wouldn't want to be in a movie with a guy who could dance like that, right? But that's another story. Funny Face is the story of Richard Avedon. Dick, as everyone calls him. The boy wonder who didn't know what to do with his life and somehow became a fashion photographer for Harper's Bazaar in the 1940s. 
flying to Paris to shoot the most beautiful women in the most beautiful clothes in the most beautiful city. Avedon married one of these women in 1944, a model named Doe, as in Doe a deer. Just like Fred Astaire marries Audrey Hepburn in Funny Face. Except Avedon was only 21, and Doe was 19. When the movie comes out in 1957, Avedon is still only 34 years old, and already on top of the world. And now, the whole world knows it. Here's what made Avedon famous, okay? The blur, which in photography is exactly what it sounds like. In the 1940s, Avedon sees all these other fashion photographers shooting models like they're mannequins, right? Stiff and formal. And he's like, yeah, I don't think so. Avedon is always in motion, talking, adjusting, trying to make everyone happy. In the studio, he does this thing where he asks the models what their favorite music is, and he puts it on the hi-fi, and everyone grooves and relaxes. He's that guy. Mostly, he wants to be different, stand out from the crowd. But also, in Paris after the war, studios are hard to come by. The city is in ruins. So, Avedon brings the party to the street. He shoots his models drinking in cafes, singing in the rain, leaping off sidewalks with umbrellas, cavorting with a street circus, shaking hands with a monkey. Sometimes you can't even see the clothes, really. It's all a blur. Diana Vreeland, the editor of Harper's Bazaar, had said, one cannot live by bread alone. One needs elan, chinchillas, jewels and the touch of a master designer to whom a woman is not just a woman, but an illusion. Well, Avanon is maybe the best illusionist there is. Shooting not just fashion, but celebrities and advertisements for toothpaste and cigarettes and underwear. And it's made him rich. When Funny Face comes out, he's living on Park Avenue in New York making almost $2 million a year in today's money. And one day, he looks around and thinks, like only someone on top of the world can, is this all there is? Avedon doesn't want to be known as just the guy taking pretty pictures of pretty women, right? He wants to be taken seriously like his friend Truman Capote, who's just written In Cold Blood, or Leonard Bernstein, who's composed the music for West Side Story and won a Grammy, or Mike Nichols, who's directed Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and earned an Academy Award nomination. So, in January 1963, when Avedon is assigned to shoot James Baldwin, the writer, he tells him he has an idea for a book. Now, Baldwin happens to be an old high school classmate. They haven't seen each other in a long time, but they were buddies once, co-editors of their high school literary magazine. Baldwin is black and gay, 
Avedon is Jewish and secretly gay. And there was an understanding there, two awkward kids walking on eggshells. There's a story about Baldwin coming to the Avedon's apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan when they were teenagers. Baldwin shows up at the building and comes up the service elevator. And Avedon's mom is like, what are you doing? And Baldwin says the doorman told him to. So Avedon's mom demands that the doorman come up and apologize directly to Baldwin. Anyway, Avedon asks Baldwin if he'll collaborate on a book about the current moment. The now, man. Avedon will shoot photos. Baldwin will write. They'll peel away all the illusions that America has been telling itself for so long about race and poverty and beauty. Avedon travels to the South and shoots everyone from Martin Luther King Jr. and his family to the leader of the American Nazi Party. And he shoots the Daughters of the American Revolution in D.C. Baldwin works on his essay in Puerto Rico and Helsinki. And each time, Avedon has to fly out and prod him a little. But it happens. And they call the book Nothing Personal, though nothing could be more personal than all the ambition that Avedon is writing on it. And when the book comes out, just before Christmas 1964, it's gorgeous and powerful. And critics hate it. Or rather, they hate who made it. The New York Review of Books describes it as pretending to be a, quote, ruthless indictment of contemporary America created by two fashionable, affluent, and chic men. The nation calls it a coffee table horror supreme made by a skillful photographer of luxury products. Yeah, ouch. At least Time magazine calls one picture in the book a masterpiece of self-satire the photo of the daughters of the American Revolution. Avedon spends years licking his wounds. And then, in 1966, a curator comes to visit from the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Ted Hartwell is really a staff photographer, shooting the artworks in the museum's collection. But little by little, he's also become a curator of photography, a job that barely exists in Minneapolis or anywhere else. Photography just isn't seen, even in the 1960s, as art. Graphic art, maybe, like illustration or design, a technical skill, like running a lawnmower. It's one of the reasons, right from the beginning in the 1800s, that it was okay for women to be photographers. You didn't need to be actually creative, supposedly. 
Anyway, Hartwell finally wants to prove the worth of photography. And he sees Avedon as the person to do it. Three times Hartwell goes to New York to offer a show to Avedon. The first time, in 1966, Avedon declines. The second time, in 1968, he accepts. The third time, in 1969, Avedon is planning the show. And then, one week after Hartwell leaves, he calls it off. But something changes by the end of 1969, when Avedon reaches out to Hartwell yet again. What's changed is America, right? Robert Kennedy has been assassinated, and Martin Luther King Jr. Cities are erupting in riots. Avedon has been enjoying himself again. In the summer of 1969, he goes to Ireland for a fashion shoot for Vogue magazine, with Angelica Houston, actually, as one of the models, along with a blonde hunk chosen by Avedon. They're in Ireland when Neil Armstrong walks on the moon. But in September, the eight men arrested in Chicago for inciting riots at the Democratic National Convention, Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Thomas Hayden, and the others, go on trial. And Avedon decides to go. On the second night of the trial, Avedon organizes a fundraiser for the defendants in his room at the Chicago Hilton. He sets up his white seamless backdrop, and as people walk in front of it, he takes their picture. One of the men is acquitted, the rest become famous as the Chicago Seven, right? And when Avedon gets back to New York, he blows up their portraits to wall size, like paper statues. He calls them heroes, risking prison while he was jet-setting. And he calls Ted Hartwell in Minneapolis and says, Okay. It's the summer of 1970. Avedon is in Minneapolis with his entourage. The photographer Deanne Arbus is among them. And her daughter Dune, who's 25 and writing for Avedon. And Marvin Israel. Avedon's art director, who's having an affair with both Deanne and Dune. Israel is taking over the galleries at the Minneapolis Institute of Art, where Avedon's show is being staged, painting the walls a metallic silver and hanging 240 of Avedon's photos. Images of Marilyn Monroe and Truman Capote and Bridget Bardot and Bob Dylan but also a huge portrait of the poet Allen Ginsberg and his partner, Peter Olofsky, completely nude. At the back of the show, Israel paints an entire room black and puts a black curtain over the entrance. And inside, he hangs the portraits, larger than life, of the Chicago 7. The decision to include the Chicago 7 is so last minute that Avedon has to write an explanation and insert it in the catalog of the show. It was my original intention 
not to show them for another two years, he writes. As they are, in a sense, rough sketches for a future exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Considering the verdict and of present conditions in the country, I feel that the photographs I took of those seven men belong to this moment and should be seen now. Signed, R.A. Well, there may have been one other reason. In January, Avedon had gone to a party at the Bernstein's apartment in New York, a fundraiser for the Black Panthers. Stephen Sondheim was there, and Aaron Copeland, and Tom Wolfe, the journalist for New York Magazine. Wolfe noticed the maids in their black uniforms and white aprons, the canapes served on silver platters, and he wrote about it in an essay called Radical Chic That Night at Lenny's, skewering the whole thing as hypocrisy. He coined the term limousine liberals to describe the partiers raising money for the less fortunate while their own lifestyles are exploiting them every day. Do the Black Panthers like little Roquefort cheese morsels wrapped in crushed nuts this way? He wrote. The story came out in June, just as Avedon was flying back and forth to Minneapolis to plan a show. Bernstein was booed at his concerts for a long time afterward. Avedon made his last-minute change to the show. The day before the show opens, Avedon and Israel drive around Minneapolis, handing out invitations to the homeless and the happening, the vagrants and the kids in bell-bottoms. And on opening day, many of them show up. In the back room, loudspeakers are playing Dune's interviews with the Chicago 7. A rally breaks out, fists pumping the air, and people start singing, ironically, God Bless America. Avedon is happy. His entourage gathers at the Ambassador Resort Motor Hotel in the suburbs, with its Olympic-sized pool covered by a huge glass dome. Deanna's blown up 150 balloons with Avedon's face on them, and Dune ties them to the furniture around the pool. They're masks mounted on sticks of Avedon's face. And when he arrives at the hotel, everyone holds up a mask and cheers. Avedon jumps in the pool, fully clothed. And then the reviews come out. One raves about the Daughters of the Revolution portrait, calling the women fossils of a society which once conceived of itself as revolutionary. But in the New York Times, the reviewer says he can't even look straight at the naked portrait of Ginsburg and Orlovsky, that he has to look at it from an angle, some distance away not just because of the male nudity, but also, quote, the failure of the photographer to connect with any ordinary human feelings. 
Well, Avedon is feeling something rather ordinary and human about all this. You, right? It only makes him more determined to be taken seriously. He gets his show at the Museum of Modern Art in 1974 and one at the Met in New York in 1978. His name on a 30-foot banner on the facade of the museum. His face on the cover of Newsweek. And then, for the better part of five years, in the late 70s and early 80s, he travels out west to photograph what he believes are the real faces of America. Carnies and cowboys, miners and jailbirds, people down on their luck in the luckiest country of all. It's the biggest project he's ever worked on. He takes 17,000 images and picks the best of them for a show called In the American West. When it opens in 1985 in Texas, 5,000 people come out to see it on opening weekend, and it travels to five other museums. In the West, the New York Times says, Avedon seems to have found a subject equal to his ambitions. And yet, once again, Avedon is accused of being a rich man exploiting the poor, using them for his own glory. This time, Avedon doesn't argue. He seems tired, done. These people, he says, have a right to feel used. I just hope I was true to something they can feel good about. The next summer, in June 1986, Avedon's old friends Leonard Bernstein and James Baldwin are named commanders of the Legion of Honor at a ceremony in Paris. But not Avedon, who did plenty for France over the years. He doesn't even go to the ceremony. Instead, he shoots an ad campaign for Dior in New York. For years now, Avedon has been leaning into his advertising and magazine work. In 1980, he photographed Natasha Kinski, the young actress, Naked with a boa constrictor. Her idea, apparently. In 1981, he photographed a 16-year-old Brooke Shields in her Calvin Klein jeans. An art director, the commercial where she says, nothing comes between me and my Calvins. There's no downside to my commercial photography, he would later say. It's fun. The food is good. The thing is silly. The respect that I have for the hairdressers, the art directors, the account executives, it's like a little circus of intention, of hard, difficult, crafted work to sell the products that are made that people seem to want. Some photographers, he says, go to the foundations and beg to hold an exhibition or go off and marry rich women. Or worse yet, they become martyrs with a following. This is because they don't know how to make money. He's come to see his critics, the ones who attack him for his 
lucrative ad work as, quote, jealous people lacking in imagination. Let's go back for a moment to Avedon's childhood in New York. His father, who was born in a Jewish shuttle in what's now Belarus, and grew up in an orphanage in a tenement on the Lower East Side, has always wanted to blend in, be self-sufficient, the better to have what everyone else has, or more. But in the Great Depression, he loses his business, a women's clothing store in Manhattan, and has to move the family to a small apartment. So small, the dining area becomes Avedon's bedroom, where he reads Harper's Bazaar and dreams of a more glamorous world. And so, they fake it. For family photographs, they dress up, borrow someone else's dog to pose with, stand next to other people's cars. In high school, Evadon asks for a nose job to look less Jewish, and his father pays for it. No one at school seems to notice, but Evadon does. Even then, he seems to know the value of illusions that behind every lie is a truth. In the catalog for the 1970 show in Minneapolis, Evanon claims that his photographs, quote, don't go below the surface. They don't go below anything. The readings of the surface. I have great faith in surfaces. A good one full of clues. It's hard to know what Ellis Nelson, the Vietnam vet, sees in the photograph of the daughters of the American Revolution as it hangs in the Black Forest Inn that day in 1986. Perhaps he sees disrespect or an ugliness that's offensive. That photo always bugged the hell out of me. He supposedly tells the police later when he turns himself in. Certainly, as he aims his gun, he sees what's right there on the surface. Eleven women in Washington, in pearls and gowns, looking like they own the place. And then, three times, he pulls the trigger. This has been the Object Podcast, produced by the Minneapolis Institute of Art and made possible by generous support from Ameriprise Financial. I'm Tim Gehring. You can listen to The Object on Apple Podcasts or Audible or Amazon Music or ask your smart speaker to play it so you don't have to. Wherever you listen, leave us a review. And subscribe so you never miss an episode. And thanks very much for listening. <laughs>